Every year, thousands of people are told there's no explanation for their health concerns and no way to fix them. They feel frustrated, undermined, and lost. I know because that was me before I figured out the actual causes and reclaimed my health. Now, I help others do the same. I'm Ina Toppler, and this is Health Mystery Solved. Hello there, and thank you so much for tuning into another episode of Health Mystery Solved. I know how confusing and frustrating it can be living with hypothyroidism and Hashimoto's, because while there's so much information out there, at the same time, there's also not that much that really focuses on these specific conditions. For this reason, every few months, I like to check in with you and see what you're struggling with, what questions you have, and where you need the most support. After posting in my IG stories this week, I got a ton of questions and I am so excited to answer them for you here today. Also, to help you even further, I just recorded a free training on how to discover your thyroid type, because as you can probably guess, thyroid is not a one-size-fits-all approach, and therefore, the support should also be individualized. Understanding your thyroid type is such a big key to the right thyroid support for you, and so I wanted you to have this information. There is a lot there. It's about 45 minutes. It's absolutely free, and you can watch it by going to www.thyroidmysterysolved.com slash training registration, and of course, I'll post this link in the show notes right under this episode so you have it under your fingertips. And for your questions, I went through all of them. I got over 300, however, more than half were very, very similar and were about diet and what to eat to help with overall hypothyroidism and Hashi, as well as weight loss. I will start here and then I'll answer a few others that were the next most asked questions. When it comes to diet, just like with thyroid, it is also not a one-size-fits-all approach. However, with this said, there are a few common denominators when it comes to Hashimoto's. So some of the big things are foods that tend to be triggers for a lot of people dealing with Hashimoto's and autoimmunity in general. And that is going to be gluten and very often dairy as well as sugar. Now, when it comes to gluten, the reason why that is such an issue is because many people have the genetics where their body is not meant to process gluten. That is the DQ2 and the DQ8 gene. And what happens is if your body is not meant to process gluten and your body attacks it and makes an antibody to gluten, there can be a cross reactivity where your body attacks the gluten, but then accidentally attacks other tissues like the thyroid because there's some similarity on those tissues to the gluten. So gluten is definitely a big common denominator. Now, I'm not saying that gluten is not good for everyone because there are some people that may not have these genetics or may not have the sensitivity, but for so many people, it is such a big issue. I pretty much always recommend doing gluten-free for anyone that is dealing with Hashimoto's. Now, with that said, that doesn't mean that you have to avoid carbs altogether. It's just avoiding gluten, but there's other carbs that you can eat that are gluten-free. Dairy is another big one. And again, it's not always for everyone, but for so many people, when it comes to thyroid and Hashimoto's, dairy is a big trigger. I know that it was for me. 
I saw so many changes when I stopped dairy. My skin, I was breaking out. I had a lot of redness. I've had hives and just all types of skin issues. They disappeared when I got off dairy. The gas, the bloating, that was huge for me. Very, very quickly after stopping dairy, all of that went away. Now, sugar, of course, is another big trigger because sugar can offset our blood sugar. Sugar processes very quickly, so it can raise our blood sugar, and it's very, very inflammatory. When we're dealing with Hashimoto's especially, there's already a lot of inflammation, so we don't want to add extra inflammation from our foods. Now, a lot of people are asking, well, how do we choose? Should I be AIP or grain-free or just gluten-free? And that's a really, really great question. And of course, it's not a very short and quick answer because the answer really is, it depends. And here's what it depends on. So first and foremost, you can always try to see what you feel best with. There are some people who are very in tune with their body and they can sense, you know what, this works for me, this doesn't. However, if you're not able to see right away, which I know could be difficult, there are also food sensitivity tests. And with food sensitivity tests, we can actually test all of the different foods to see if there's a sensitivity. Now, the tricky thing is that depending on the lab that you use, food sensitivities can look at a bunch of different pathways. They're called immunoglobulin pathways, but sometimes you could be sensitive on one pathway and not another. That's why I actually like using a food sensitivity test from Vibrant America. They're called Zoomers, and they test for a few different pathways, IgG, IgA, and IgE. And also they test for the different metabolites of the foods because sometimes the food breaks down into different components. So they test for all of the different components so you can really see if there is an issue. What I typically recommend is that if you're just starting out and this is very new to you, you could start with a little bit at a time. For example, just gluten-free to see how you feel. However, if you're ready to really get going and really want to get things under control, sometimes it is easier to do something that's more streamlined so say a grain-free or an AIP type of diet or a low lectin diet, which is very similar. And then after doing that for a few weeks and you can really get the inflammation down, then you can start to expand out a little bit and then add in some grains, see how you feel. Um, it's also really, really helpful to look at food sensitivities on grains and Vibrant actually does a whole panel on all of the non-gluten grains because a lot of the times people can handle certain grains, but not others. For example, millet doesn't have any lectins in it. And so a lot of people can handle that because lectins are very inflammatory and could be an issue for some people with Hashimoto's. For me, for example, I can't do oats. And it seems odd because you know oats are fairly benign, but they bother my digestion. However, I can do rice with no problem. It doesn't raise my antibodies. I can still keep my Hashimoto's in remission with doing rice. I can do millet. I can do buckwheat, but I can't do oats. And interestingly, I always thought there was an issue with oats because as much as I love them, every time I'd eat them, I would just notice certain things. And then I did the food sensitivity and I saw the proof that there's definitely something there. So food sensitivity is helpful, but if it's not something that you're able to do because of cost or because of finding the right practitioner to do the test for you, you can always start out with grain-free AIP, see how you feel, and then add some of the grains in to see if you notice anything in terms of symptoms coming back once you add those in. Now, when we talk about weight loss, for some people, it can be pretty easy. They can cut out gluten and dairy and it's like, poof, the inflammation goes away, they lose weight, um, they're retaining less water, everything works well. 
It's wonderful when that happens. However, I think for many of us, and I would probably say most of us, it's not always that easy. However, just because it's not easy does not mean that it's impossible in any way. There's, there's a lot that goes into weight loss. So of course, first and foremost, for weight loss, you want to make sure that you're supporting your thyroid. If you're still in a hypothyroid state, and if your thyroid hormones are not optimal, it doesn't matter what you eat. It's going to be very, very hard to lose weight because your thyroid is in a slow state and not activating your metabolism. However, if you'd supported your thyroid for your thyroid type, which again, you can see more of that in the training I mentioned earlier. And if your thyroid labs are all optimal and you're doing everything that you can to balance Hashimoto's and you're still not losing weight, one of the things that could be happening is perhaps you may not be eating for your metabolic type. So there's two different types that I like to discuss. One is a type called the carb type, and one is a type called the protein type. Now, that doesn't mean that if you're a carb type, you like carbs, or if you're a protein type, you like protein. It just means that if you're a carb type, you tend to do better with foods that have some carbohydrates in them. And if you're a protein type, you tend to do better with foods that are higher in protein. Now, again, you still need some carbs if you're a protein type and you still need protein if you're a carb type. You just tend to do a little bit better with one versus the other. Now, the other trick here is that if you're a carb type, you can have more carbs. However, it's not just like, let's eat whatever we want plus eat more carbs. When we're having slightly more carbs, we have to lower our fat. And if we are protein type, naturally proteins are going to be a little bit higher in fat. So if you're a protein type and having more protein and fat, you then have to lower your carbs. So what I see happen is that someone could be doing a paleo or an AIP type of diet because it is very beneficial for Hashimoto's, as I mentioned. However, depending on the types of foods they're choosing, typically they're going to be eating more proteins and fats. So in a paleo diet, someone may be eating grass-fed beef, which is very, very healthy, has a lot of protein, but naturally it also has a good amount of fat. They may be eating more oil, more avocado, more nuts, um, if some of the plants, the grain-free allow for that. And again, more protein, more fat. And they naturally are probably eating less carbs, which is great. With that said though, if the person who is doing this plan is actually a carb type, that means that their body does better with a little bit more carbs and less fat. And here, even though they're eating super clean and super healthy foods, they're still going to be higher in protein and fat and lower in carbs. And on the other hand, if you're someone that's eating very low fat, so maybe you're having, you could be even doing grain-free, but eating a lot of things with cassava, a lot of sweet potatoes, and say you're keeping your fats low, so you're not eating a lot of oils or avocados, and uh, maybe you're a vegetarian, and so you're not eating a lot of proteins either. Again, it could be a healthy diet, but if you're a protein type, but you're eating a very low fat, kind of a higher carb diet, that also can backfire. So what I can suggest here is that look at the types of foods you're eating and see if you're doing a little bit more carbs or a little bit more protein. And if you've been doing this plan for a while and you're not losing weight or potentially maybe gaining weight while you're doing all the right stuff and your thyroid is supported, try to flip it and see. So if you're doing an AIP and you're doing high protein, high fat, see if you could try to do a little bit more carbs but less fat. You really want to cut your fat if you're doing more carbs just for a few weeks and see if you notice a difference. And if you're on the other side of the spectrum, then flip it where you can lower your carbs and then raise your proteins and fats. 
this is something that I find very helpful and I wanted to share that with you. Now, I also had a question about a vegetarian diet specifically, and this person was wondering if that's something that could negatively affect Hashimoto's and hypothyroidism. And so here, it would depend on a couple of things. A vegetarian diet could certainly be very healthy, but you just want to make sure that you're getting enough protein and you want to make sure that you're getting enough B12 and enough iron. Iron is very important, especially for certain thyroid types. And so you just really want to make sure you're supplementing. Now, in terms of exercise, a lot of people had questions about what is the best exercise for thyroid and Hashimoto's. And this depends on where you are in your journey. So if your thyroid is supported and optimal, and if you're doing everything to help to calm your immune system and balance your immune system so that the Hashimoto's is not in a flare-up, then really you can do any type of exercise. When it comes to weight loss, I like doing things that are like high intensity intervals. I like doing quick spurts or doing like a two to one ratio where you're doing something hard for 30 seconds or maybe a minute and then slowing down for about 15 or 30 seconds. And then of course, anything that's weight bearing because that actually gets your metabolic rate going and it stays active with you for hours and hours after you've worked out. However, If you're still working on balancing your thyroid and still dealing with low thyroid hormones and a high TSH, or you find yourself in a Hashimoto's flare-up, or perhaps, you know, it's flare-ups here and there, or maybe more constant flare-ups, you really want to focus on calming that down and doing any type of strenuous exercise is not going to be good. When your thyroid is flaring and the autoimmunity is flaring, your body is in this sort of inflammatory stress type of state. When you overexercise, and what I mean by overexercising is doing more than what your body's able to. So when you're feeling really tired after a workout, that means that you're doing too much. And that is very stressful. So if you're already in a stressed physical state from having a Hashimoto's flare-up or an uncontrolled thyroid, we don't want to add stress with too much exercise. And the same goes if you're feeling extremely fatigued. So perhaps your thyroid is not balanced yet, or maybe you've already balanced your thyroid, but your body's still in that recovery state where you're just so, so tired and it's hard to get out of bed in the morning. You feel like you have to take a nap. You really, really have low energy. Now, again, the more that you support your thyroid and balance it, the better that will get. But overdoing it on exercise during these times is also not recommended because it's almost like beating a dead horse, right? Like if your body's really tired, you actually want to give it rest and do more things to support it. And we still want to move our body, but that can look like maybe walking for as much as you can. If it's only 15 minutes, great. If it's 30 minutes, wonderful, but don't try to push it. Don't try to run. Don't try to do a lot of boot camp type of classes or a lot of cycling, because if you're already very tired, you don't want to push it. You want to start to feel better and then you can do a little bit more. I personally do a lot of um, HIIT classes. It's the high intensity intervals. Um, I do a lot of them on the Peloton, Um, not through cycling, but they have all the different programs and I just look up classes and I look up HIIT. And um, a lot of them are 10 minutes, 20 minutes, some are 30 minutes. So just whenever I have time in between recordings and clients, and that works really well. I also recently tried a Legree class and Legree is kind of like Pilates, but it's done on a transformer. So it's a full body workout and you literally work every single muscle in your body. I worked muscles that I didn't even know I had. And since having the baby, I haven't been working out nearly as much. And so it really kicked my butt. Um, But it was 40 minutes. We did 
literally the whole body and it was great. So that's something that I'm going to continue for a little while and I'll keep you posted on how it goes. But I definitely felt like I worked out after though. What was neat is that I wasn't exhausted. I felt like my muscles were worked, but I wasn't huffing and puffing. So it didn't feel like it was too much, at least not for me. But I think the important thing to remember is whatever workout you choose, you want to try to be consistent, but also please make sure that you listen to your body. If there's some days you might be feeling really good, you can do a little bit more. Other days, if you're feeling a little bit more tired, don't push yourself too much. I mean, yes, I know if you're talking to personal trainers, they say, okay, keep going, you could do it. And yes, I mean, we could put ourselves a little bit, but don't push yourself too much because for a lot of my clients and myself included, if I do too much, I feel it the next day. And sometimes it could put us out for the next two, three, even four days. We don't want that. So try and do a little bit, push yourself just a tad, but not enough where you're going to be wanting to take a nap for the next three days. Everything that you do counts. So just do what you can. Now I had a couple of other questions as it relates to Hashimoto's. One of you asked, why are there so many different symptoms with Hashimoto's? And that is such a great question. I love talking about this. And actually, I did an episode um, about six months ago. It was episode 100, and I talked a lot about it there. So if you guys missed that one, please go back and listen to that one. But essentially, in a nutshell, the reason why Hashimoto's has so many symptoms is because it comes from two areas. Typically, Hashimoto's is going to cause thyroid destruction. So when you have Hashimoto's, you're going to have typically a less than optimal thyroid function. So you want to make sure that you support that. And some of the symptoms could be coming from hypothyroidism itself and the low thyroid. But also in Hashimoto's, there is inflammation happening. And the inflammation is because the immune system is attacking your own thyroid. So there's inflammation in the thyroid, but also when that attack happens, that inflammation could be literally anywhere else in the body. So it could be in the joints, so we can have aches and pains. It could be in the brain, which can create brain fog. We can have inflammation on our skin, so that can create acne or rashes or other types of like dermatitis or eczema. And so really the support for Hashimoto's has to be twofold. You have to support the immune system to stop that inflammation and the attack and also the thyroid. And because the symptoms could come from both the overall inflammation and immune attack and the thyroid itself, that's why the symptoms can literally be from A to Z. So what you're feeling, you're not crazy. These symptoms make sense. And I know it can be very frustrating when you go to the doctor and you say, oh, I'm feeling all these symptoms. And they say, well, your thyroid is just fine. This is what I call the normal thyroid type. If you have Hashimoto's, you may have normal thyroid function. So the thyroid may not be affected just yet, or perhaps you're on medication, it's being supported. But if the Hashimoto's itself is not supported, then that's where all of those symptoms can be coming from. So there's still so much that you can do, even if your thyroid function is okay. Now, someone also asked about vetiligo, which are spots on the skin and why that can happen with Hashimoto's. So for this, I don't think that there's a specific relationship to Hashimoto's per se, but vetiligo is also an autoimmune condition, right? So there's an attack on the skin. And 
Just like Hashimoto's is an autoimmune, when you have one autoimmune, there is a chance that you can get others if we don't support the immune system. So for some, it could be vitiligo, for others, it could be arthritis, for others, it could be MS or lupus. And again, it doesn't mean it's going to happen. I'm not trying to scare you anyway or say that if you have one, you will get others, but there is that chance. So the goal here, again, is to support the immune system because it's that immune system that controls everything. And it's that immune system that unfortunately got confused and that is where the attack started to happen. Another question was, is it possible to be hyperthyroid before becoming hypothyroid? And the answer to that is yes, it absolutely is. And it's not so much that it's, at least from what I see, traditional hyperthyroidism. It's that when you have Hashimoto's, the thyroid tends to go up and down, it kind of swings in both directions. So if there's a Hashimoto's flare-up, we can actually become hyper temporarily, and then it becomes hypo. A lot of times, if there's flare-ups, it'll go up and down and back and forth. So it's not so much that you were hyper once and now hypo forever. I think it was probably a Hashimoto's flare-up, and that's why you experienced that. Now, I also had questions about vitamins for thyroid. Now, the thing is, depending on your thyroid type, the support you would need would be individualized. So I can't really tell you, unless I know your specific thyroid type, what the best vitamins would be for you. However, people are also asking, what about multivitamins? Are there better multivitamins for Hashimoto's? And what I would say here is you want to make sure that you pick a multivitamin that does not have a lot of iodine because iodine is contraindicated in Hashimoto's. You also want to make sure that you have a nice balance of all of the B vitamins and all of your minerals. Now, when it comes to B vitamins, there are methylated B vitamins, there are synthetic B vitamins, and there are also B vitamins that are unmethylated, but natural and not synthetic. It's very helpful to know your methylation status. And if you know that, then you will be able to see which B vitamins are going to be best for you. I actually did a whole episode on this. That was episode 108. So if you missed that one, definitely check it out. And that is going to tell you how to figure out your methylation status. It's actually a fairly simple test. And then you can see which B vitamins are better for you and then pick a multivitamin that is best based on those B vitamins. For Hashimoto's, I like to use the Designs for Health Complete Multi, and it comes with iron and copper or without iron, depending on what you need. And that's great for those who are under methylators. And for those who are over methylators, I am one. I like to use the Optimal Multi Minus One or Methyl Free from Seeking Health. I personally use a prenatal vitamin still because I'm still nursing and I just like the way the prenatal makes me feel and I'm an over-methylator, so I use a low-methylated multi. But again, you can see much more about this in episode 108 in case you missed that one. Okay, there you have it. I was able to cover most of the questions with this, but if I didn't get to your question, please reach out to me. You can actually just direct message me on Instagram and I will be sure to get back to you directly. And don't forget to check out the free training on how to discover your thyroid type. I really think that you will find it valuable and helpful. Now, as always, when it comes to your health issues, please, please don't give up. The answers are out there and there is hope. I'm Ina Toppler. Thank you so much for listening and I will see you next time on Health Mysteries Solved.
All information, content, and material on this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to serve as a substitute for the consultation, diagnosis, and or medical treatment of a qualified physician or healthcare provider.